Welcome to Hang Your Hat, a podcast about ideas that are close to home. This is episode 13. There's a storm coming. Atlantic hurricane season started on July 1st and stretches all the way to November 30th. That's six months of potential disaster. Then there are tornadoes, earthquakes, typhoons, epidemics, and terrorist attacks that give no warning of their arrival. In today's episode, I'm talking about preparing for emergencies, including supplies you should gather, plans you should make with your family before an emergency occurs, and resources to help you get started. Last year, Hurricane Hermine hit my town. Now, Hermine was not a very strong hurricane. I think it was only like a Category 1 hurricane when it hit us, which is really barely stronger than a tropical storm. The area that I live in in Florida really doesn't get hit by, by hurricanes all that much. Usually by the time they reach us, they're not much worse than a really bad thunderstorm. A few trees fall... The yard gets covered in leaves, and the power might go out for a few hours. It's actually pretty common in my town, which I feel I must mention is a college town, for people to throw hurricane parties where they get together and wait out the storm drinking hurricanes. So when it looked like Hurricane Hermine was going to hit us, I think it is safe to say that we, meaning pretty much the entire town, didn't take it as seriously as we probably should have. Hermine ended up doing a lot more damage than anyone expected. More trees fell than in any other storm I have ever personally seen. They pulled down live power lines, fell on houses and cars, and blocked roads. 80% of the city lost power, and many people were without power for a full week. And that was even after crews from other towns were called in to help out. Cleanup from the storm lasted weeks, and repairs to homes took months because there just weren't enough construction crews to go around. My family was really lucky. We were only without power for about two days, and we had running water the entire time. We also had a small generator that kept our fridge running, so we didn't even lose much food. And our local grocery store was even able to open after about a day, so we had access to extra food when we ran out. Many of our friends were not as lucky. One of my coworkers was without both power and water for the better part of a week. It made me realize that we really were not well prepared for an emergency. As it turns out, we're not alone in that. According to the CDC, about half of adults in the U.S. do not have the resources and plans in place for a possible emergency. This year, I want my family to be one of those that is prepared. Well, I don't plan to build an underground bunker in my backyard or store five years worth of canned goods. I do plan to create an emergency kit that will meet my family's basic needs in the case that we're without access to food, power, or water for a few days. There are some really fantastic websites that give really fantastic guidance on what you should have in your emergency kit. The ones that I found most helpful were emergency.cdc.gov and ready.gov. They really covered a really broad range of possible emergencies and really got all of the basics covered. 
have my husband here on the show today to discuss some of the CDC's recommendation for disaster preparedness. I actually think it's really appropriate that we're having this conversation today mm-hmm. because last week we had a lot of rain yes. and some mild flooding in town. And it really kind of brings the point home when you see something like that, that disaster preparedness is an important part of just everyday life. Yeah. And thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, but yeah, you're right. And not small disasters, but situations where you reasonably think, wow, we don't have any power or internet service. I hope that comes back on soon. It does make you take pause. It does. Yeah. So one of the first things the CDC recommends for your disaster preparedness kit is that you have enough water. And they recommend that every person in your household have at least one gallon of water per day. Now, it was not clear to me whether or not that was just drinking water or if that included the kind of water you would need for cooking and personal hygiene as well. It seemed a little bit low to me if it if it would included anything other than drinking water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, that would probably at least be drinking water. I know if you're expending a lot of energy with high physical exertion, i.e. having to walk distances or under you know less than ideal uh, circumstances, you sweat out a lot. And in that case, you're supposed to drink, I believe it's 32 ounces every you know, at least two hours or so. Um, which wouldn't last too long if you only had one gallon dedicated to you, depending on how far you're going. But uh, people in a resting state uh, probably don't expend as much or wouldn't require as much. But cooking, it takes a big bite. Yeah. And I, I think that some of the cleanup you have to do after a disaster situation can be a lot of like heavy physical labor too, which probably would increase the amount of water that you need to be getting in. Mm-hmm. One thing that they didn't, talk about at all is you know what if you run out of that that those gallons of water per day and you're still without water they didn't give any kind of recommendations for you know alternative water sources Mm -hmm. so I was thinking that part of your kit it wouldn't be a bad idea to include things like water filters or iodine tablets as well uh, in case you have something like a you know fairly clean local stream or, or or lake or something like that that you could still get water out of as long as you filtered it and boiled it or used iodine tablets to make sure that, you know, you, you weren't going to be getting viruses or bacteria into your body yeah. and making things worse. Water that isn't, you know, green or brown and you can't see through. Semi-clean water. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. It's really important, though, that you can't just use your, your kitchen water filter. That kind of water filter doesn't actually filter out bacteria at all it just makes the water taste better it filters out some uh, particulate but nothing nothing on the scale that you would need for getting water out of say a you know a creek or a stream right yeah kind of that you can get at like a camping store mm-hmm. even though they're not really really high volume mm-hmm. um that would be a good one to use in this kind of situation right um and they don't take up that much space either they're actually fairly small because you do have to be able to carry them in a backpack for camping. Mm-hmm. One recommendation that I had as well for the water is that, you know, you're going to need ice to keep your food cool if you're out of power. So you can fill up water bottles with water beforehand, freeze that, and then use that as some of your ice packs until it melts. Yep. And then you have extra water too. Yeah, 
and making sure those water bottles are uh, was it BPA free? Right. BPA free. Right. So that's the plastic itself won't present a uh, opportunity for bacteria to grow and flourish in them. But no, it's a great idea. The next thing that the CDC recommends that you keep on hand in your emergency kits are foods that are easy to prepare and won't spoil. And they specifically recommended canned soup, dry pasta, and powdered milk. Mm -hmm. I think this is a terrible idea, actually. The, the recommendations they had, they all need extra water. Right. And they all need a way to cook them. Yes. And they're usually pretty heavy to carry. Right, right. I'm not sure that these are the best ideas for foods in an emergency. Well, they're, they're useful ideas. These are foods that keep for a very long time, that have a high nutritional value per serving. And the packets that they usually come prepared in, uh, they hold quite a few servings. So you can feed people with them. But uh, there's a few other solutions that might be better. Do you have any ideas for foods that might be better? Uh, well, a lot of foods that uh, you wouldn't usually have as a, like a healthy snack food. Uh, granolas are very good. They can go stale. Um, but also something that we got a few years ago that I've really enjoyed is a food dehydrator, which works really well for making beef jerky, but also dehydrating uh, fruits if you want to mix those in with some nuts and berries or you know, chocolate candies. You can make some really good trail mix, but uh, that's something that you can use to actually you know, dehydrate fruits and either freeze them or just keep them in a dry area. And uh, those keep for a very long time. I definitely like the idea of foods that don't have to be cooked at all. Right. Um, you know, like you were saying, nuts and seeds are another one that keeps for a long time, and they're really nutritionally dense as well. One thing that the CDC didn't mention at all, which surprised me based on their recommendations for food, is they didn't say anything about stoves. Hmm. Your stove will not be working if your power is out. Chances are, yeah. Right. But um, camping stoves that use external fuel sources would be something that might be a good idea to have in your emergency kit. Yeah. We don't use gas lines for our stove here, but I do know that gas lines can be affected uh, by storms as well. Maybe not as readily as electrical lines, but um, yes. Earthquakes too would probably be really scary to use any kind of gas powered anything after oh, that. Sure. sure, absolutely. But camping stoves, they are also really, really small, like the camping water filters, and they, mm. they really don't take up that much space, so they are something that would be great to have as just a small extra for your emergency kit. Mm. But even if you don't have something like that, a grill is another alternative. Right. Most people do have grills, especially if you have one that's you know external charcoal or external gas that isn't connected to a power line at all mm. or a gas line. That would work just fine after a storm, assuming that it remains intact afterwards. Right. And you can even go real old school and just dig a pit and make a fire. You can still cook over that. It's a lot less precise, and you definitely want to have some practice uh, in dealing with that, preparing food. It's a good way to go. I think you do have to be extra careful, though, because the emergency services will be taking care of other things. Oh, yes. So yeah. in that kind of situation, you want to make sure that you do have a proper... Mm -hmm. fire pit. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So the CDC also didn't recommend anything to keep your cold foods good. They didn't recommend a cooler or say anything about, you know, keeping your fridge cold or your freezer cold or anything like that, mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of surprising. 
Yeah. And that's in our experience, at least and with uh, refrigerators, especially if there is a complete power failure and they're not able to function, the best way to hedge your bets, I guess, and keeping the food in there from spoiling is do not open it. Uh, even if this means tying a rope around it just to prevent any sort of absent-minded, oh, I just wanted some milk, oh, I just ruined it, because that allows a lot of the cold air to escape and introduces warm, tepid air, which uh, we found out spoils food very quickly when it can't cool off. Right, and I think we also found that coolers work surprisingly well. They do. Probably better than the fridge at once the power is turned off. Sure. Yeah. And if you can get to a cooler as soon as possible after the power has uh, gone off, I'd say in the first 15, 20 minutes would be ideal. Uh, you can load it with ice, whatever perishables that you want to keep from perishing. And uh, just and kind of the same idea with the coolers. You don't want to open and close them a whole lot to get different things out. The, uh, the classic... You don't leave the refrigerator door open while you're making up your mind. You think about it before you go there, and then you open and close quickly. It's still the best um, rule when you're dealing with coolers because uh, they do release cold, and they cannot replenish it. It's solely dependent on whatever ice, hopefully water bottles, like you mentioned earlier, that you've put in there. So uh, just try to keep them shut is the best way to go. We, we did find, I never thought that, there was much difference between one cooler and the next cooler. They all seemed pretty much the same to me. But after this last storm that we had, you had gotten a, a really nice Yeti cooler. Yes. Yep. And it kept things cold for days. Like mm-hmm. ice was still ice after like three days. Right. Which not, was amazing. <laughs> not all of the ice was still ice, but the frozen foods and perishables that we put in there uh, survived just fine. And that was impressive, if anything. And we obeyed the rule of, you know, don't open it unless you absolutely need something out. I think we actually left it closed mostly the whole time. Mostly, yeah. And uh, it was impressive. Um, But, I mean, a Yeti would be a great great solution. They're not the most inexpensive coolers. uh, But really, if you have any cooler, any cooler is better than no cooler. So use what you've got, use what's available. But if you have the opportunity to try out one of the Yetis, I would definitely recommend it. And they're probably still cheaper than a generator. They are. They yeah. are. And they don't take as much gas either. In right. fact, none. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the next thing the CDC recommended was to get a three-day supply of all of your medicines and any other medical supplies you might need, like syringes. Now, I think this, of course, is a great idea. You should definitely have your medication on hand all the time. But there is some issues with this that we have definitely run into and that insurance doesn't always let you buy medication ahead of time. Yeah, in excess of what you are, you know, allotted every 30 days or how often you have your prescriptions filled. And you're right. For those of you that she said, I don't know if it's been mentioned, I do have type 1 diabetes, which uh, I am insulin dependent, and so I have insulin that I get through an insulin pump and uh, blood glucose testing strips and uh, all of the tubing and cannulas and you know, syringes that go along with the pump which is it, it's a lot of uh, a lot of product and but due to the insurance uh, paying for only a you know portion of that it only being shipped every few months it's something where there's not a lot of margin for you know having a standby kit and so uh, 
your work and it asked me to kind of address that with you. What I would recommend for those of you in this situation, if there is at all an overlap in your supplies, just be mindful. Excessive supplies, try to just hold those aside. Maybe kind of have a rainy day box uh, wherever you keep your medical supplies. Uh, Over the years, I've built up a couple of uh, cartons worth, actually, which has been helpful, Um, not because I've had any issue getting the supplies, but if I were to, I'm fixed for at least a while. So I would say that if you're developing a disaster preparedness kit, definitely think about this. Definitely any sort of uh, uh, prescription drugs that you might be taking, not necessarily hold those aside, but have them readily available where you can get to them. Yeah, don't Um, wait till the last minute to refill your prescription either. Exactly, exactly. Stay current on all of those. Sometimes uh, sometimes things happen. But And another thing you could also think of if you have a a chronic disease like I do, if there are any uh, support groups or hospital-affiliated, healthcare-affiliated programs where you live, uh, go to them, ask them if there's anything they might be able to do to help. Sometimes they have free samples. And uh, usually they're very generous and would really love to lend support to people who are trying to proactively take care of themselves. So that's a behavior you always want to encourage. It doesn't hurt to develop a good relationship with your pharmacist either. Mm -hmm. Because in emergency situations, sometimes, depending on the pharmacy, your pharmacist can work with you a little bit. Mm -hmm. And just make sure that you don't run out of medication in a disaster situation if they're available. Pharmacists are some of the most uh, thoughtful, intelligent, and resourceful people I've ever had the pleasure to deal with. And uh, so, yes, definitely. Always always be kind, but go the extra mile with your pharmacist. They can definitely help you out in a pinch. Mm-hmm. So next, the CDC recommends you keep a supply of your personal care items. They specifically talked about soap toothbrushes and toothpaste, baby wipes and contact lenses or glasses. Toothpaste and tooth uh, and toothbrush is a no-brainer for me. Um, baby wipes are also a really great idea because you probably will want to clean up. The one that surprised me a lot was the soap because, again, you're going to have limited amount of water available probably. Right. And soap obviously requires water. It does. So there are some reduced water soaps or even no water soaps that you can get in camping supply stores. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that would be the better option here. It is. They're going to be more expensive than, uh, you know, any of the, the old school soap name brands, but they're also developed with the uh, situation in mind of limited space, limited uh, weight carrying capacity and limited water availability. So are they ideal? Yes, um, but I think at bare minimum you want to have you know, half a bar of Dove or Ivory or you know whatever you prefer uh, set aside in a uh, you know, Ziploc bag or something. Right, and um, some of the alcohol-based sanitizer would be good too. Oh yeah, yeah. I think everybody's got a hand sanitizer house brand, and the pump bottles or tubes. Tubes would be good just because you don't have a valve to fail. Um, but those are really good just for you know, basic cleaning chores, simple uh, personal hygiene. Obviously, you don't want to use anything like that internally. You don't want to rinse and spit with it or use it to clean your eyes. That would burn. Don't do that, please. Um, but they can be useful just for uh, you know, kind of daily chore cleaning. And it really is important. I know this seems like a small thing uh, in the face of a disaster, but personal hygiene really is important in this kind of situation because mm-hmm. if you do get an infection... 
you might have a harder time getting medical care. Right. It's better to invest the time and energy in preventing the infection rather than going the route of A, having to deal with an infection and B, having to bring stuff that will handle that. So kind of along those lines, the next thing the CDC recommends is a first aid kit, Mm -hmm. uh, including an emergency blanket and a multi-purpose tool and a whistle. Mm Mm-hmm. First aid kit's a great idea. I definitely think you should have a first aid kit. The kind of things I would include with that are bandages, uh, including Band-Aids and other larger bandages, Mm -hmm. antibiotic ointment, Mm -hmm. some painkiller. Yes. And again, in the case that you might be exposed to something like a bacteria or something in the water that you're not used to, some anti-nausea and anti-diarrheal medication. Absolutely. Uh, because both of those can lead to severe dehydration, which, again, it's funny how it always comes back to water supply. That can really affect your you know, need for water and can bring about an imbalance in what water you might have available. So, again, you know, an ounce of prevention. It goes a long way. Right. And, again, you might not have access to a hospital. Right. Or at least not as easy access to a hospital as you're used to having. Mm-hmm. So preventing it is much better than getting to the situation where you're going to need emergency care. Right, absolutely. And as far as uh, medical supplies go, I can't recommend highly enough getting basic training in first aid and CPR Mm -hmm. um, situations where you have an emergency, um, the elderly, the young, everybody. Anyone can get injured. Uh, Knowing how to provide basic care is good. Um, If you're already a paramedic or already a doctor, you're ahead of the game. But in your first aid kit, it would probably also be advisable to have a a tourniquet of sorts or splints. These are things that can be crafted in the field, but if you have access to any or can get some, that's one less thing you have to forge around for when you actually need. Right. The next thing that the CDC recommended was electronics. They included a flashlight, uh, a radio, specifically a NOAA weather radio cell phones and their chargers, and extra batteries. Mm -hmm. The radio, I thought, was a very good idea. This is something I hadn't really thought about before, but it makes total sense is that you would want to get a weather radio, maybe even one that was like a hand crank radio so that you could keep charging it just so you can stay on top of the weather reports. Mm -hmm. And, of course, cell phones and chargers are something you should always have on hand. Oh yeah. And most, it's easy to end up with a lot of cell phones, a lot of chargers. Oh my gosh, I have so many cables. Oh my gosh, I have so many AC adapters. Take a couple of those, put them in a go bag that you're getting together uh, for emergency preparedness or otherwise. But, uh, and having a dedicated radio, I think is a good idea because a common reply I would hear is, oh, I've got a cell phone. You know, I can, you know, have the network and you know, networks can come down, cell phones can do a lot of things, and they really are magical, but having a dedicated device that you don't have to use the power of the cell phone to get basic essential information from uh, could be very, very useful. I know after the last hurricane we had here, a lot of the cell phone networks got so overwhelmed that yeah. it was hard to dial out all of time. All of the time, mm-hmm. um, they just couldn't take as many calls. They couldn't keep up with the traffic. Sure, they were swamped. Right. So something like a radio that you can at least get the information back to you is a really great idea. Absolutely. As far as the cell phone chargers, you had actually gotten some solar ones mm-hmm. a few years ago now, and they've been great. 
Yes. Oh, absolutely. And these were ones that, uh, no real name brand here, but ones that a, a dear friend turned me onto on Amazon that for under $20, it is a, uh, it's about the size of a smartphone. It actually kind of looks like a smartphone, but it is a uh, backup battery that will charge uh, at least the battery on my iPhone 6 Sans S uh, twice on a full charge, but it also has a full-size solar panel built into it. So it has two USB ports. It can charge two phones at once, but it can also charge itself if you can put it in direct sunlight. That's pretty much a win-win. I've had one of these that I've been using a lot for over a year now that still holds an amazing charge. And uh, again, no real, trying to think of a brand name, but just search for a solar cell phone charger on Amazon. And yeah. uh, usually under $20, less if they're on sale, and totally worth it. And a lot of the times they have a, a LED flashlight built into them where if you click the power button an inordinate number of times it turns on and again you can save the power on your cell phone for when you really need it. Right and that actually covers one of the other recommendations which was a flashlight. Mm -hmm. So two birds with one stone there. Can be. Um, I would still say that a dedicated flashlight is good. Uh, flashlights are kind of that you know, what do we what do we need for the storm that's coming and flashlights one of the things that always springs to mind first and flashlights are useful to have. I would just recommend if you're considering flashlights, look for something with an LED um, rather than an incandescent bulb. They tend to be a little bit more durable, have a little bit brighter light, and try to look for something with common battery sizes. This is something that uh, there's a lot of tactical flashlights. There's a lot of uh, you know, lights that were developed to be uh, mounted to uh, firearms to be used in uh, law enforcement situations. Those lights are really good. They are really bright. They're really cool, but they also use really strange cell batteries, uh, CR123s and the like, uh, which are great batteries, the three volts for cell, but they can be expensive. So I would just recommend looking for things that have very common battery sizes, double uh, A's, triple A's, uh, if you want to go with one of the classic mag lights, C and D cell. And also those are probably going to be some of the easiest to find uh, in a situation where you're having to source uh, refills once they go dead. Right. Where you, don't, you can't order on Amazon. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, one thing the CDC didn't talk about was candles. And I hmm. think this may be because... It requires fire to get them going. Right, right. And, you know, worries about fire starting and fire rescue people not being able to come right away. Sure. I don't think that's... With proper handling, that's necessarily that big of a risk. Mm -hmm. And I think that candles can definitely save your batteries for an emergency situation as well. If your power is just out for a few days, you don't really need to be using flashlights constantly. Right. So next, CDC recommends you keep in copies of all of your important documents, including insurance cards, immunization records, medical records, especially if you have a chronic illness. Right and emergency contact information. We have actually done quite a bit of this already. We have a family document binder, mm -hmm. which has most of our kind of you know important legal documents that we might need for identification or insurance or what have you, mm -hmm. and a binder that it's sitting on the shelf, it's ready to go when we need it. Right, and passports, if you have those, um, you can make copies of them, that's fine, but have the actual hard ones in a, a localized spot ideally in a binder like this or in a spot where they can be easily, uh, easily picked up. 
Yeah, I think the important part is to not have everything in different parts of the house where you can't get to them really easily or you're not sure where they are. Because if you are in an emergency situation where you have to leave your house, you want to be able to get to them pretty quickly. Absolutely. And um, it's as far as preserving those documents, if they're the originals, that's fine. I would have a couple gallon Ziploc bags or um, I don't know what the generic term is, but uh, some food storage bags that you could put them in just to protect them from splashes, from them getting wet, from them uh, getting basically disintegrated by being handled in rough conditions. Uh, or ideally, if you can make copies, maybe laminate the copies, make them as watertight as possible. You can leave the originals in your bank, which is going to be more protected in an emergency situation and just keep the copies with you as well. Sure, absolutely. The next thing the CDC recommended was to get your pet supplies ready to go for any pets that you have in the household that you would need to take along with you in the case that you would need to leave your house or even for in the house that you want to make sure that you know they have enough food and water and things like that in case you can't get to the store for them. Right. So they recommended enough food and water for three days and one gallon of water they thought was enough for three days for one animal. Hmm. That seemed a bit low to me. Yeah. Well, it's, I guess it depends on the animal. If it's a large animal, it's probably going to need more. If it's a smaller animal, it will probably need less. But that's something that we hadn't really thought about that much, I, I don't think, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we really focused on the people in the household, but we obviously would want to make sure our pets were taken care of as well. Oh, absolutely. And this was something that when Jorgen uh, brought it up in anticipation of this podcast, I thought about and realized, wait, we really don't have anything for the dog oh my gosh and then I smiled because I remembered wait no hang on remember that time we went to REI and we got the camping bowl that collapses down to like a half inch tall silicone disc but then it folds up into a full-size bowl we keep that in the car for the dog because at a rest stop he's panting we pop that up we fill it with some water and he has a drink like oh we we were just prepared and we didn't know it. Right. But having some, uh, like even some white plastic dishes, something that you can include in your go bag that is uh, obviously for the animal that you can put their food in. And um, I know at least with dogs, like we have, uh, their biggest concern is going to be for you. So, yeah, if you can bring their blankets and toys, that would be ideal. If not, just uh, make sure you bring them. Make sure they have a collar on. Make sure that they have tags with your information, their vaccination information, and um, that the collars are reasonably well affixed. You wouldn't want them running around scared in an environment like this with uh, no identification. And get them chipped. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because if the collar does come off, uh, a vet or an emergency service person often does have the scanner to mm-hmm. read the chips, and then they can find you right away. Absolutely. Um, So you don't have to worry about your pet being lost forever. Another one that they talked about was making sure your pets also had their medication ready to go. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, our dog doesn't really take any. Right. But some dogs and cats do need medication daily. Yes. And you wouldn't want them to be without it, um, just like you wouldn't want a person in your household to be without it. Mm -hmm. That's very true. A few other things the CDC recommended was keeping extra cash on hand, extra keys for your house and your car, and some maps of the area. One thing they didn't talk about at all, which I thought was really surprising, was they didn't talk about keeping gas in your car. Hmm. So I know here, at least, when there is a situation where people are asked to evacuate, the first thing that fills up is the gas station. Yes, absolutely. 
So if you keep enough gas in your car to at least get to the next town over, you're not going to be stuck waiting at the gas station while there's an evacuation taking place. Right. Or if you have a, a lawnmower and you need to keep a you know five-gallon can of gas in your garage, uh, keep a five-gallon can of gas in your garage. You know, I would just it, what I would like to do is mark the calendar and just have you know every six months or so make sure it gets either put in a car or is, if it hasn't been used up by then it's used up because it can go stale. Um, but just having fuel on hand, not any fuel that's been mixed up with oil for a two-stroke engine, but just gasoline. If your cars run on gas, if they run on diesel, some diesel, I believe that keeps substantially longer than gasoline. Right. As far as I know, diesel keeps almost indefinitely. But uh, basically just having it where keeping your car fueled is just a good practice for being a human and having the necessity of a car. You don't want to be caught without gas anytime. Uh, but least of all when there's, you know, a situation where you can't actually get any gas. I was also thinking, and this happened to us before the last hurricane. And with hurricanes, we get a couple of days of advance notice that it might be coming our way. Yeah, the sky at least gets really dark for a while. <laughs> yeah. But something I didn't think about before the hurricane struck, and I really should have, and I wish I had, you know, now I know and now I can do it, but I wish I had thought about it before Uh, last year is that you really if you know the disaster is coming do your laundry and your dishes beforehand yeah Yeah. (laughs) because the power goes out those those appliances that you might be using normally are not gonna be working your hot water heater is not going to be on you might have water you might not have water yeah And I will tell you from experience that it's a lot easier to smell the dirty dishes and the dirty laundry if there's no air conditioning. And it's a lot easier for those to really start to reek because, again, no air conditioning. So, yeah, it seems like common sense, but it's all that. It's like, oh, that's darn, that is a good idea. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And keeping some extra disposable utensils, disposable plates, disposable cups in the case that you can't wash things so that you can get those dirty food items out of the house in a trash can when you're not able to wash them, I think is a good idea as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So this is another thing that the CDC didn't talk about at all, and this has been a lifesaver for us since we got it, is getting a generator. Right. The last time we lost power for a few days... There was actually a couple of houses in our neighborhood that had them. And while the, you know, cacophony of a droning in the you know, backyard from three different houses didn't sound great, um, having the refrigerator running, having a stove to cook on, being able to do laundry felt really nice. And we certainly don't want to keep anybody awake, but at the same time, We'd also rather have power, so. Right. Now, our, our generator is a small one. We yes. really can only operate one appliance at a time on it. Yes, we were switching the cords to run those things I was speaking of. Sorry. Now, some there are some generators that are whole house generators mm-hmm. that as soon as the power goes off, they kick on, they kick on your right. whole house is normal. And those are great. Those are fantastic. They're also really expensive. Yeah, yeah. so I would totally recommend the small, tiny one appliance at a time generator. It's about the size of a lawnmower. Usually it uses the same kind of engine you'd find on a lawnmower. 
Um, and I was surprised at how long the gas uh, lasted in and how ridiculously efficient it was yeah. pushing a couple of appliances uh, constantly, I would say. So, I, yes, I would say that. It, and the thing is about generators, it's one of those products where if like right now where we are, it's hurricane season. So it's guaranteed you're going to be paying at least 40% more for generators now than you would the rest of the year. So they're really good to get. Oh, around Christmas, New Year's. Yeah. That's and, and also keep an eye out on Craigslist too, because a lot of people buy these things. A lot of people, you know, for very different reasons, they don't use them. Uh, they unload them. And it's really hard unless it's had suffered some you know, terrible trauma to really mess these things up. So your used ones, ones that have been repaired, still a great idea. Don't wait till the storm is coming to buy a generator though. Yeah, exactly. Unless you just have, you know, a couple grand you want to throw around on whatever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the last thing the CDC recommended, and they actually do have a very inclusive disaster preparedness plan. These are just some of the main highlights from their emergency kit that I've been pulling out. But the last thing that they recommended was creating a family disaster plan. Hmm. They recommended making contact cards for each person in the family to keep on them at all times. Right. When you have a little kid in your household, though, they probably don't have either pockets or a wallet or a purse that they're going to be carrying something like a contact card around on. Mm -hmm. So one thing I found online, which was fantastic, especially for much younger kids, was they make temporary tattoos, like the rub-on kind, (laughs) that you can get made with contact information. Like, this is my name, this is my address, this is my parents' phone number. Yeah, if found, please return to. Right. Right. So in a disaster situation, I think that's really ideal for for smaller children. Absolutely. Especially ones that are not old enough to remember things like phone numbers. Mm -hmm. They also recommended having a family-wide emergency contact, like a specific person to call in case of emergency, and that that number should be memorized if possible. Right, absolutely. Uh, They also recommended um, safe spots in in your home for a specific type of emergency. So like in a hurricane, you'd want a different safe spot than like a a tornado or earthquake. They require kind of different ideal places in the home to go to. So you should know what those are beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. They also recommended having multiple meeting places in town, maybe in your neighborhood in case of an emergency and people are get separated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of have a hierarchy of go to this one first. If this one's not available, go to the next one. Right. And I worked for the city that we lived in for years and was actually on a, a disaster response team. And it wasn't until I joined that team working for the city that I learned that they actually have a citywide disaster response program wherein high schools or middle schools, schools in different areas, would be identified and opened up as shelters for people that had been displaced. You know, their houses were not, they were not able to stay there safely, uh, which I thought was amazing. But honestly, before that, I really had no idea that plan was there. Mm-hmm. And most cities and states do have disaster preparedness plans that you can usually find on their websites. I was able to find ours mm-hmm. um, for the city we live in. And it's a great to just know that it's available and to know what kind of resources might be available in the case of an emergency. Oh, sure. Absolutely. The last thing is that you should have an escape route in mind. Mm-hmm. So you know where to go if there's an emergency. 
you get in the car, get out of Dodge, and get to somewhere safe. And I think that's a, a good idea for any type of disaster, regardless of which one it is. Absolutely. And I would only uh, adjust that by saying probably have three escape routes in mind because routes can become closed, uh, roads can become shut down, uh, trees fall down, at least they do here. Um, the only other thing I would add at the end is that, um, and all of this is very good, I think, presence of mind, you know, actively engaging, thinking about what would you do in this kind of situation. Where we are, we deal with hurricanes. Uh, other people deal with tornadoes. Earthquakes, I don't know if they have a season for. I think they just kind of they show they just up. Happen. And they're never yeah. welcome. Uh, tsunamis, uh, different parts of the world have different uh, disasters that they're open to. But sort of a bigger picture in mind, think about it, not all disasters are natural. And while being prepared for a natural disaster is a great idea, I think a lot of the same uh, mindset principles can also be applied towards other kind of disasters. We live in an increasingly dangerous world and a place where you might have to very well uh, take steps that you hadn't really ever considered to safeguard yourself and the people you love. So when you're preparing these uh, disaster preparedness bags, uh, go bags as I like to call them, just think about the kind of, uh, kind of items that you would want to have on hand in a worst case scenario, whether that be you know, trees falling down, rain coming down in buckets, flooding, or threats that you've maybe seen on the news. Just keep that in mind when you're getting all these items together that, um, yeah, think about food, think about water, thinking about identification and plans, but uh, thinking about if things get worse than just trees falling down. Right. And I think that everybody's going to feel a little more comfortable with that with different different types of personal protection than others. And Mm -hmm. um, whatever you use, you should be safe using it and know how to use it well. Be thoroughly trained, be confident in what you're taking with you, and... You know, don't put grandpa's blunderbuss or musket by the go bag. That's that's an antique. Leave that at home. But uh, yeah, just uh, presence of mind, foresight. These are all good things. That is it for this week. You are free now to be in hoarding water and canned goods. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. In the meantime, it would really mean a lot if you could let a friend know about the podcast or leave a review on iTunes. Reviews are one of the best ways to get the word out about a new podcast. You can also get in touch with me by sending an email to hangyourhatpodcast at gmail.com or by visiting the website hangyourhatpodcast.com. The Hang Your Hat Podcast is a production of Your Work and Crafts. You can find Your Work and Crafts at G-E-R-W-E-R-K-E-N crafts.com.